This is the best of the summer run home. Weekdays for the Hyundai Santa Fe. Welcome to the best of the summer run home for your Monday. It's Barney and I was sitting with Robbie Slater today and boy, did he have some thoughts on all the issues with the APL. So to give some context to the listeners, almost half the staff at the A-League's governing body have been sacked due to financial concerns. Uh, the City Morning Herald have revealed the APL's digital content um, keep up will reportedly be scrapped. Um, the Apparently in three years since unbundling the APL uh, has implemented a strategy that's seen a period of rapid growth across the business. The original three-year strategy is coming to an end. So a planned no money left. full strategic and commercial review has taken place over the last several months. So it sounds like they had a three-year strategy. That was to spend a bunch of money. And then now they don't have money to spend. Is that is that what's going on here, Robbie? Look, well, it'd be nice if someone came out and explained exactly what's happened. Now, all I can see is it's very, very murky. Uh, mm. there's, there's there's no confirmation of where the money's been spent. There are, and I saw someone on X today, Twitter, the old Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, a very long explanation of why the APL don't have to give any details because they're, you know, they own the company and all this. I don't care about legally what they have to do. I'm talking about it's morally the right thing to do, given what happened when the APL, with all the promises it made. When it moved away from the FA, there was a war of two years before that happened where they warred with each other and the game, uh, the game suffered. Uh, that's when I was at Fox Sports and the game was at Fox Sports and even Fox Sports got angry with both the FA and the APL because while they were warring, they decided we're not going to market anything because we want away and it, it was horrible. Anyway, that happened. The APL took over, which was uh, you know the original board with the owners uh, Danny Townsend was the original CEO and the one that called all the shots. And it was promised that it was a new era of prosperity for the owners because they would no longer have to deal with the FA where they always complain that if they don't show us the books, we don't know where the money's getting spent. They get all the money from the finals, da 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 So off we go into this new era. Now myself and people like Craig Foster and Mark Bosnich, we sat back. We weren't involved in this new era, which was fine. Mm. I was seen as two Fox Sports maybe to go to whatever. Anyway, it was fine because I stayed with News Corp and basically stayed with Fox. But I kept it out of respect. I kept it quiet, as did Mark, as did Fozzie. And for two and a half years, I've sat there and watched the decline of the A-League for a number of reasons. Uh, but when this happened, I was it just made you angry and disappointed and saddened for, again, the fans getting kicked in the guts uh, that have been kicked in the guts now for two and a half years by a, what I believe is a poor broadcast deal, which hasn't delivered, delivered what it promised or maybe has delivered what it needs to deliver because of the contract we signed. Mm. But when this broke that half of the staff, or, and I heard that there could be more, uh, have lost their job uh, and that the money's gone. So the money was the private equity firm Silver Lake by, by the way, is a massive deal. They are involved everywhere, NFL, Manchester City. So $140 million or $120 million US is not a massive amount of money to them. But I still think that they're going to ask questions or maybe were they involved? This is what we don't know. 30 to $40 million was spent on Keep Up, a failed app. How do you spend that much money? 
yeah, on on an app. This this is the the thing with the the app. I was unaware of the app. Like no, no, people I, don't even know it exists. I was going to say. I, I'm now. I'm not. Full no, disclosure, no. I'm the biggest. Like I'm not a yeah. soccer fanatic. I enjoy the game, mm. but it's not my not my first yeah. passion. But like working in sports, you you usually know. Okay, if I'm gonna if we're gonna I've talk about A League or we're gonna talk about whatever, yeah. you're gonna know where to go get the information. And that is, so if there's an app, you would have thought that we'd all in here have the Keep Up app. We'd all know about it. And to keep up with what's going on in the alley. Well, that's what it was. And and the thing is, I've spoken to owners, and I'm going to be doing interviews with owners. One I'll be doing with them, with with one tomorrow, and another one soon after. And I've spoken to two of them, and they weren't even aware of what this what this money was being spent on, where it was being spent on. In fact, one owner said that he told them that this keep up thing was not going to work, that the name was wrong. And that people who want football news are not going to go to keep up. Because mm. if I'm looking at the English Premier League, I go to BBC or I go to Sky News or I go, you know, this, yeah. you know that's what I look. If I want La Liga, I'll go to a Spanish website. Um, so that. But how do you spend 30 to 40 million? No, no one's still. And the thing is, it's a week ago. So where's all the rest of the money? Because even if you take 30 to 40 million out of that, there's still 80 million or 90 million. Now, there's things that have come out they spent, would you believe? Well, I think, Mark, you mentioned that $1 million on a new logo. So, wow. I'd like to be the company. And I think the same company that took, and this is not saying they've done anything wrong, but they also did a song, something that was a charge to the future. I think it was, God, I don't know, they had 2 to $3 million on one song. Yeah. In the first year, so I'm assuming Taylor, Taylor Swift recorded, that's right. wrote it, Adele, recorded it. <laughs> you know, like, how can you spend that kind of money for a song? You know oh, what? Though. Sorry, no, no. I want to go, Daddy. I want to go to the A League because I love the song. Yeah, I don't know who's. You know, like, I mean, give me a break. <laughs> I mean, and I stole that from you. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Who is like? I know, like, it's all part of the package. It's all part of the yeah. show. But when you're spending that much on something that realistically. Yeah isn't going to bring extra fans no. to the game. It's something for the fans that are already a part of the game to get feel like this is part of a showy package. And, and I know. don't even I, – I can't remember ever hearing it. I, no, I, what is – do we no, know I, what the song is, Mark? Yeah, I'll try no, and find it. Something, I'll try something, and find find something it. to the future. But anyway, that's another thing. So there's obviously all these things. So why – where where did it go? Because then you take that out and you take something out. There's still millions and millions and millions of mm. dollars that have gone. Now I think COVID period might have might have hurt. We know that Perth Perth Glory and Newcastle are ownerless, so the APL have been propping them up, and that's a that's a huge worry. Um, but this still needs to be explanation. Now the new a APL chairman is Stephen Conroy, of yep. course, and I think he's a good and honest man, and I think he's been the catalyst for this. I think he's come in and he said, "Hang on a minute." What's going on here? This isn't sustainable. And I think this is why it's happened. But Stephen Conray, and if it's him, well and good, because he's a very good speaker, uh, needs to come out. Well, I think morally has a, a need to come out and explain wh what's going on. And, you know, and, you know, a lot of things went out on X or Twitter or whatever. You, well, it's X. Okay, so let's stop saying Twitter. So a lot of people on X saying it's a sad day because lots of good people have lost their jobs. And I agree. I'm sure there were... You know, lots of, you know, good people have lost their jobs. But some, I don't know. Well, because I think, and I know, 
that there were people that went to keep up or to the APL who effectively dragged Fox Sports through the mud in the last six months to a year, knowing to, to make sure that Fox Sports didn't get the deal again. And mm. this new deal, and I think there was a lot of promises made well before at the end of that contract because they knew, I think they were being promised stuff at the APL, i.e. keep up. Yep. And what needs to be exposed is what, you know, what salaries were all these people on? Well, also, what a I don't I'm now not being familiar with this. Do we know what like apart from the the Keep Up app, apart from that, have, what the digital content arm? Have, do we know what they're produced? There was great um, last year the A League All Access show that was on ten uh, Paramount Plus and ten Play. Yeah, um, I found that as someone who to to date hadn't been that invested in the A League was a great way to get me interested in the storylines and the what's going on in the A League. Did has that continued or has that just been did that was that a one and done? As as an A League fan, I agree that a lot of that stuff that the people who work there, they did create some really great stuff. At, the, a, at a massive cost. At a mass, but that was the thing, it was a massive cost. It, and and that's got, fine I, if you've got if you've got advertising, if people go there and if people know about it, and then it justifies that. Mm. And I agree some of the stuff was was really good, but unfortunately, it's on a platform that no one cares about. I think all the day-to-day stuff worked was really well. Yeah. Loads of great people, great graphic designers, video editors, all that type of people, all the people who got fired, all their work, excellent. It's all the big decisions yeah. and all the obvious out-in-front decisions from the higher-up that had seemed to have a bit of a concern with. Now, just on the text line, Cam's got involved. He said, Robbie, I think the when the Premier League moved away from Fox Sports, it had a massive impact on the A-League. I used to watch the A-League into the first Premier League game and made a night of it. Um, now, we were talking about this before we, we went were. On we did make a night of it as well. <laughs> yes. I don't know if Cam heard when we were talking about it before. The best part of Match Day Saturday was Match Day Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Me and the boss hitting Ivy, <laughs> but um, but that was that was a thing where at that stage, yeah, he's right. If you're, if you're a football fan, there was one place you went yeah. for it. You didn't have to go. Am I an EPL fan? I'll pay for this. Am I a? Um, do I want to see Champions League? I'll pay for that. Do I want to see? Yeah. Um, you know, any any of the other leagues? There was sort of one place in Australia you could go and get your football. And this fit. is the problem that football has, and it's not because I, I was there and I'm still there. Uh, but it was the time when the A-League had a golden era. Mm. Uh, it was the time of Del Piero and Heskey in Newcastle, Shinjiano at the Wanderers, the Wanderers winning the Asian Cup. And one of the reasons why um, is exactly what you just pointed out. So people uh, could sit there on a Saturday and you'd watch match day Saturday. You'd watch two or three A-League games and it goes straight into Premier League. You'd go over to be in sports and you could see the – the championship, La Liga, the Bundesliga, all that on the Foxtel network. And it was all there. Um, so the football fan had one thing, one channel to subscribe to. Uh, and I'm not saying that uh, Fox Sports, it could have been anywhere. When it was like yeah. that, it doesn't matter where it is. When it's, it's the one-stop shop. So, you know, then all of a sudden we lost the, the Premier League to Optus. Mm-hmm. So that was taken, that had a massive impact on the, on the, in fact, the biggest impact on the A-League was the EPL and the A-League being ripped apart and that should should never have been allowed to happen. And I, and I know, you know, I'm naive in that world that, that you know, TV rights and, and this and that, but for the game, 
It's not a criticism of Fox or Optus. It's yeah. just for the game. That's what tore it apart. You need you need the ones because now one stop. Well, now you know you have to go stand for Champions League and other stuff. Optus is the EPL and La Liga, I think, and a few other things. You know, being sports is off on its own, and then you've got the A League stranded there on Paramount, and you know that that has been a problem. The, I think the broadcast deal. Uh, should be made public exactly what it is because the, I know for a fact, again, speaking to two owners, that what they were promised, they're getting less than half of. Yes, this is the best of the summer run home. We crossed to the Australian Open to chat to our own Brett Phillips about all things tennis. Time now for an Australian Open update with Brett Phillips. BP, are you there, mate? You've got your own stinger. I'll tell you what, you guys at 11.70, this is right across uh, the board. You go to greater lengths than any other station across this vast uh, network to produce stuff like that. So uh, this is why it's my favourite. First off, let's start with last night. Um, I got home last night. I was I was working last night. I got home uh, about 11 o'clock, and uh, my wife is a big tennis fan, was on the lounge, uh, desperately hoping uh, Alex Dimonor could could pull it out, could uh, win the fifth set, and uh, sadly not to be. But what happened was she was uh, she was very frustrated, quite upset as she um, as as the get match ended. She decided I'm going to bed, but then she went to bed, and all she did was toss and turn for about an hour and a half <laughs> because she was still just annoyed about the game, um, disappointed um, for our man Dimonor. Brett, and that made me wonder, mate, you must have that feeling almost every every evening. You know, you're riding the tension of every game and then you've got to go home. You know you've got to be back there early in the morning. Mate, when was the last time you had a good night's sleep? Uh, is Was it before this Open? Well, when you cover tennis, let me tell you, you just don't sleep. It is a sport that never stops. And uh, when you're covering a fair bit of it in the Australian time zone, whether we're doing what is fairly normal hours here compared to you know, when you're covering events in Europe and uh, the US, uh, there's no rest for the wicket. You just, the adrenaline just keeps uh, pumping through. And, well, it was pumping for Alex uh, last night, uh, the last two sets. We actually, you know, calling that game on SCN thought that he was uh, in the driver's seat. You know, won those two tiebreakers. He was up and about, bouncing away. And Rublev looked a little bit fatigued. He was out on his feet. And, you know, he was, uh, you know, obviously consuming all sorts of fluids to get him going and get the home crowd against him. And then Rublev showed, showed why he's the world number five and Alex is the world number 10. There is a gap. And, uh, you know, Rublev's played those uh, those bigger matches at the bigger tournaments where he just knows when to go up a notch. And uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fierce ball striker, Andre. There's not a lot of subtlety to his game. And he just started hitting the ball harder. And, uh, yeah, Alex couldn't quite go with him. So it's, it's probably another 12 months away to be realistic about, you know, Demon or having, you know, some sort of run here at the Australian Open. Oh, well, you know what? He's That's the thing. He's only 24 and um, there is still so much room to improve. And, and if you see the progress he's made over the last 12 months, um, what you'd hope if that can continue for the next 12 months, then, yeah, we're, we're looking at a real chance next year. We hope so. I mean, he's just trying to go... Uh, and go deeper at all the majors. Now that the expectation has certainly gone up, and now that he's become a top ten player, and the good part for Alex, in his own words last night, he said, "Well, in the past I might have been satisfied, you know, in my progression where I was at to make a fourth round, but now it's not good enough. You know, I want to get to a quarterfinal, I want to get to a semi, and 
a lot of people thought that he wouldn't even reach top 10. So the next goal is to try and at least consolidate that ranking in and around 10, if he can get it to 7 or 8. Uh, he's got a lot of assets that worry opposition players. I mean, as Rublev said last night, it's just a nightmare playing Alex Dimitor because <laughs> he makes you hit a lot of balls. I mean, 35-shot rallies, 30-shot yeah. rallies. But he's got to beef up the serve. He's got to, you know, certainly uh, get more value on the forehand. There's lots of little things as he continues to put on a bit of muscle that can just life a little easier. You know, I was watching that game, Brett, as well. And um, like you, and I'm certainly not an expert like you, but like Barney, like everyone else at home uh, watching, thought, you know, when he won that third set, you just thought, okay, he's in the box seat here because, I mean, Rublev looked at, at some points that he was just going to lose it. He was getting frustrated, the look on his face, and not necessarily the next set where he loses 6-3, but, but what happened, just explain to me because I'm not an expert, how do you get a 6-love in the fifth? Yeah, it's a scoreboard, Robbie, we don't normally associate with Alex. He's so competitive. He yeah. sets, uh, you know, he's got a bit of depth in them. And even when he's, you know, a breakdown, he's got that ability to, you know, break straight back and, and get back in the match. But, I mean, look, Rublev uh, just, you know, started absolutely going for broke. I mean, he was painting the ball on the lines, in the corners. It was high risk, high reward sort of tennis. And, mm. you know, once he got that early break, he just couldn't recover the, the scoreboard. You know, he only got to be one breakdown in men's tennis, and it's so hard to, you know, get the break uh, against a player like Rublev, who serves pretty well. And there's just a couple of points where he just shot execution, just let him down and... Um, the, the serve last night, it just didn't uh, stand up like it has all summer. You know, under 50%, a lot of looks for Rublev at the second serve. And, you know, he was able to just, you know, crunch crunch winners and get Alex on the back foot. And, yeah, the scoreboard just got away from him uh, very, very quickly. He was trying to dig in. I mean, they were still, still playing some good points. But he just couldn't win those crucial points. Yeah, mate. Now, today, uh, reigning champions Novak Djokovic and Ariana Sabalenka navigated their way through uh, pretty comfortably, as did Coco Goff. They all won in straight sets. Um, Coco Goff's Robbie's new favourite player. He hadn't heard that name, <laughs> mate. What, what can you uh, let Robbie know about her game? Oh, she's a beauty, uh, Coco. I mean, she's been entertaining us since she was a 14-year-old when she you know, went to Wimbledon. Quite extraordinary when she played Venus Williams all those years ago. I mean, just maturity beyond her years. And here she is now as a Grand Slam champion, won the US Open last year. And she's up in the top three. Uh, I mean, for a young girl, I mean, just she just carries herself extremely well. And her tennis has now uh, gone to the next level. You know, she's increased her fitness base. Her forehand was her... Her weaker link, she's improved that. Uh, I believe she belongs now. And I mean, Robbie, you'd appreciate like it takes a bit of time, doesn't it, to get that you know self belief that you actually belong at the uh, at the top level. And Coco has got that self belief now, so she's an absolute uh, title contender. Uh, likely, you know, semi final with Arena Sabalenka, last year's champion, and I'd certainly back in uh, Coco to win that semi. Now, uh, BP, before we let you go, mate, the Australian Open, obviously, we're getting towards the pointy end of that. But uh, a big year of tennis coming up. And on the text line, Barry's just asked, uh, hey, guys, can you ask BP that if you go to Wimbledon, can you buy tickets in the day? I, I think he means on the day. On the day. Yeah, in the day. Um, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably better to try and get them in the daytime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But can, can you buy them on the day just for Barry? Do, do you know, BP? Uh, I think I know what Barry's uh, talking about, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> Wimbledon's the toughest. So Wimbledon have a ballot where you've got to go in a ballot oh to get tickets. God, no. But you can just risk – it's camp. It's it's tent city. 
in the yeah, Wimbledon yeah, parklands yeah. there next to the golf course. People uh, pitch a tent, join the queue. You mightn't get in till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, but you just <laughs> snake file around. You get sunburnt. By the time you get in, you need a PIMS, and you uh, just park yourself on Murray Mound, and you enjoy a bit of Wimbledon. But that's the painful part if you don't get in. It is good, though, if you get there. Tickets, so. I've, I've been went a couple of times because oh, yeah. I played in London, played for West Ham, and I got got invited, Absolutely. obviously, so I didn't yeah. have to get there in the day. He wasn't. Um, he wasn't camping with the. Uh, I wasn't camping with the with the punters outside. Let's say, <laughs> although you know, I am a great man of the people, like the bozo. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Pims Pims was on the on the thing. Listen, I, I've, I've always wanted to do this. So can I? Um, um, Shag has got a question as well. Some weird kind of hand gesture was coming from Rublev's box. Uh, do you know what that was? That was a question from the reptile. Yeah, I, yeah, not sure. There was a lot going on with Rublev uh, last night. His, <laughs> his box was pretty, um, pretty demonstrative, like he. And I mean, of course, his courtside coaching allowed now, so you know, that, which I think is a great addition to tennis because it used to be just hand signals, and coaches were saying, "I'm not coaching," but they were coaching, and then they just made it official. Coaches, I've let them let them chat to the player and. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't pick that up. We were calling it on the radio last night, and um, yeah, didn't uh, didn't see that. But it's never dull. Let me tell you, with Andre Rublev, mate, it's never dull with any of these folks. Plenty of blow-ups uh, yet to play out too with these players over the next uh, next week or so, mate. We're loving your coverage here on SEN. Thanks for joining us on the run home, uh, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy keeping the coverage going tonight. Indeed, yeah, big week to come. Second week. Uh, thanks, guys. Good to chat. Welcome back to the best of the summer run home. We cross to our mates up there in Queensland at Sports Day, Sats and the Rat. And, well, the Rat's just back from holidays and had plenty to say. Sports Day with Scott Sadler and Matt Rogers. Uh, now we cr- now it's time to cross to them. And, uh, Matt, I hear you are first day back from holidays, mate. I am. I am. It's, it's been tough. It's been a tough break. He's seven, had four months off. Seven, seven <laughs> weeks away. <laughs> Actually, I, I went and spent, um, uh, you know, and, and, and this is, Robbie will, will uh, and this is, you know, speaking to you, Robbie, I, yeah. I went over to the US. I ended up in um, north, uh, the New York state, upstate New York in the, in the yeah. northwestern part of the US. Mm. And my daughter's a young uh, aspiring soccer player. She, she played for Queensland in the under-16s last year. And oh, brilliant. We, yeah. we, we went and looked at a facility um, Amazing, huh? for, for her to go over and, and play over there. Um, oh my goodness! The, it's incredible. The, I love isn't it. North of the, America's the, amazing. The, the money that they have spent on this facility, the yeah. indoor fields, yeah. the training. Um, I'm just Aaron. What's his name? Aaron Rogers. Oh, no, no, Aaron. <laughs> Aaron he, played, he, played, he played for New Zealand. Um, he married um, the lady whose family sort of started this whole thing, and, mm-hmm. and his wife played for the US, and they, they run this junior development academy. And the kids that go there, they all end up with D1 college scholarships. And it's just so, is your daughter is she go, is she going to join this academy, or she'd like to, or is that well, a, that well, they wanted to, they wanted to, yeah, um, but, but you don't just, want to, you don't want well, to lose a, your sixteen year old. No, no, exactly. So we're just working on a plan now to see, you know, what what her, what her best path. And well, mate, she must part- be amazingly ta- talented. And, and yeah, as you know now good. with girls, I mean, the pathways are, are, are much clearer. I um, mean, obviously you've got A-League women's here, but the American system is by far, and it's better, and we do talk a lot about the WSL now, mm. uh, which is, you know, Chelsea, United, and all. Yep. A, a lot of the Matildas are obviously led by Sam Kerr and Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford are all playing over there at Arsenal and Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham. But the best facilities in the world... And still, 
I'd yeah. say the best competition in the world is in America. Yeah, wow. yeah, it was pretty impressive. I, I, I came home um, and I, I was just trying to get some information here and I tried to get on the Soccer Australia app, but I couldn't find it. I don't know what... Do you oh, know surprise, what? surprise. <laughs> go to Keep Up. Go to Keep Up, mate. You, you get all the information you need. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I couldn't find it. So I, might, I might have to send her over there, mate. <laughs> you know what? There's no reason you can't go with the technology now. You could do Sports Day from New York. Oh, I'm just mate, looking. Exactly. It's, it's currently 1.07am one, there, mate. Yeah. Just, Great. Yeah, no, perfect. but I... I think, like, given his financial situation, he could certainly move over there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, now, right. now, Robbie, looking at you, like, Ormskirk. Ormskirk, yeah. Ormskirk. No, I was born in Ormskirk. I know it's a very unlikely place. It's uh, just outside of Liverpool in England. Parents were 10-pound mm. pom- poms. Nice. So I was a baby and um, we immigrated. Uh, but I can't get that off my birth certificate, Ormskirk. <laughs> and, uh, and to be fair, it was a part of the world. And when I eventually went, and this is a good one. So the only Lancashire-born player who won a Premier League for Blackburn, which is in Lancashire, was who? Me. You. Oh, All the way wow. from Australia. Wow. All the way. The yeah. only Lancashire. Geez, yeah. Lancashire's doing Actually, well, Actually, I've got to be very careful because Lundy's not happy. He goes, Robbie answers questions weird. Should Shane Warne have a coin? I know Alan Shearer. Well, I do know Alan Shearer. <laughs> Sorry, guys, that was uh, that was in the first hour. You don't know what can I, can Ormskirk. I tell- What's Ormskirk famous for? What's it renowned for? Robbie Slater. It's yeah. Robbie Slater. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't think it's And God bless. And God bless my mum. <laughs> Funny <laughs> you should say that because I'm just googling here. What's Ormskirk famous for? And what does it say? Robbie Slater. <laughs> of course, it doesn't. Think, think, think about the the complexion and the hair. Gingerbread. Oh, red ginger. Gingerbread. Ginger Mate, I'm a ginger. Oh. I mean, yeah. I'm looking into the, the, the ginger YouTube ninja. or whatever it is up there, and um, <laughs> it's not ginger now, but I can guarantee you, my nickname in the old NSL days when I played for Sydney Croatia um, was, oh. was the Red Baron. <laughs> and what about this, guys? This is a good one. Uh, sorry, so i tell this quickly. So when I played against Maradona, and Lundy's going to be pissed off because I keep yeah. talking. Have I got time to tell the story? Yeah, you got So Maradona, so Man- we played Maradona in Sydney in 93, drew 1-1, went to Bonnet. Anyway, Maradona gave me his shirt and da 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 And he made me, he called me this name and it was El Colorado. Uh, and I thought, you know, and the, the, the journalist wrote this story, you know, Maradona's nickname, El Colorado was the major threat for the second leg in Buenos Aires in front of 100,000 people. And I thought, wow, this is unbelievable. El Colorado. And when I got to Argentina, I remember asking the, the bellboy at the Sheraton, I said, mate, El Colorado, he spoke good English. I said, what does it mean? He goes, the red one. The red one. <laughs> okay. And that's the best you could come up with. I was, so, I was devastated. Well, mate, you'd be, you'd be happy. You'd be happy. Your parents were ten-pound poms, mate, because I, I actually went to school in the north of England, just yes. just near Liverpool when I was a kid, and yep. uh, I got into a fight every day uh, coming home. <laughs> I got picked on. It was horrible. It was the worst in the in the mid eighties. I, I don't think bullying was uh, was big on the agenda at school. No, no way, no and, sir. And uh, being the different kids from Australia, we certainly caught. And that was the years of the hooligans in the yeah. in the British out game. Of, yeah, out of the two hundred and thirty-six towns, villages, and cities in the Lancashire region. <laughs> Ormskirk is 113th most dangerous. <laughs> oh, in the middle of the road. Middle yeah, the right road. in the middle. This is yeah, extraordinary yeah. investigation. Yeah. yeah, this is. So, is this Sports Day's new new direction? You're going to review towns in the north of England, well, or are we? We're just trying to fact fact check your. Um, yeah, why I am like life. I am. 
No, your geography, because you were saying yeah. Nanango is in the Darling Downs. No, 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 no. Doesn't know where Nanango is. Oh, oh. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've got Des on the Des on the text line said, "Boys, Nanango is in Queensland in the South Burnett. It is too. Yeah. Next big go. town's That's Kingaroy." Nice. King Home Roy, of the peanut. Yeah. King Roy, I hear that all the time as well. Well, I guess uh, like just ending the Ormskirk discussion is that I've done a, I've done pretty well to get out of Ormskirk. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's that's yeah, the yeah. Mm. I, I think yeah, I think you had a win. So, like, were you a Liverpool fan growing yes, up? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the thing coming from Liverpool, you, you know, because you lived there, so. You were red or blue. Uh, families were split in two. Everton or, yeah, Everton or Liverpool. Everton or oh, yeah. Liverpool and uh, you were better off being the Liverpool fan because uh, they won everything and Everton won nothing, which is well, actually not true. In the 80s, they did were a very good side, but certainly up until you know the last few decades, it's all been red in Liverpool. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to Bruce a little bit here. I'll, mm. I, when I was a kid and I lived there, yeah. my, dad, my dad was playing league over there. It's when Craig Johnson was playing. For That's Liverpool. right, yeah. So we got to go to the games because Dad and Craig were mates. Yeah, and cool. We'd go into the into like the players' room yeah, after yeah. the game and got photos with the FA. That Cup was and, one of the greatest teams that ever played the game, mate. I got photos of of me as like a seven year old with Bruce Grobler and yeah. Kenny Douglas. Kenny Douglas, yeah. Ian Rush. Was that middle? Was that middle eighty? Was that eighty five? Yeah, 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 mate. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's and can amazing. I tell? Can I tell you? All the kids at school hated me just because <laughs> I was Australian. And then I thought, oh, they like me now because I've, you know, I'll be able to show them these photos. And it was in the newspaper. They hated me even more because well, they, they couldn't get there. They couldn't go. So they were just like, this bike knows nothing he's a about football. He's a dickhead, the skinny Australian. <laughs> yeah, he's a, give me a, a flogging at school. Uh, can you tell us, um, Robbie, with the the Central Coast? Uh, Mariners and the yeah. uh, Melbourne City brawl. Is it a little bit like AFL and NRL now, like handbags at Malay. 10 paces? Yeah, yeah. yeah of that. course it is. And then, like, yeah. I got someone calling me this morning about it, and I, you know, I went and I just said, yeah, I said, it's not ideal. Yes, let's cliche. It's not a good look. You know, yep. It's not a good advert for the kids watching. It's not that. But you know what? It's kind of cool. I, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, can it's I, like, can you I, know, a bit of passion for Christ's well, sake. You know, well, like. Can I, yeah, well, I'll say, I agree. It's like, well, well, at least someone's watching it now. Like, well, that's you know, it. We're, we're all, it's getting attention. Well, that's and, right. You know, it got some publicity uh, for once. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, as we can see by what's going on at Soccer Australia, they're not doing too good a job at the moment. No, no. The, yeah. the game's in, in a poor position. I can't remember it being in such a poor position for, for a very long time. And, um, you know, there's the, and it's the fans. Uh, there are fans out there, uh, loyal fans. Absolutely. And they're the ones that, that, that always suffering. suffer the most. And I'll tell you the other ones suffering. And while the FA, well, I'm onto it now because I'm getting angry. I got your when I think. So when the <laughs> FA, go, and they're go. sitting in their ivory towers, and the APL there have blown 120, 120 million US on shit, right? I hope that they feel good when they go to bed at night and they think about the kids who go out and pay 400, some Mate, older kids, 500 more. to play football this year in, in Australia. The registrations are outrageous. Mm, and are. where does all that money go, I wonder? You know, oh, I, the, I biggest, agree, the biggest uh, participation sport, they're paying, I don't know how many times, it'd be probably 20 times more than AFL. It'd mm, be five, yep. six, seven, eight times more than NRL and rugby. Yep. And where does that money go? And I agree. And you got three kids living in the western suburbs. No disrespect to them. I travel there three times a week with my son, and that's where I grew up. But three kids. I had a, um, a father telling me with nearly tears in his eyes that they're going to have to 
one child is not going to be able to play this year because of the registration is oh. too high. Yes, this is the best of the summer run home. We chatted with former Wallaby and current podcast host Drew Mitchell uh, about, well, what's going on with the Rugby Sevens and what is the path forward with the Wallabies and their new coach. One of the hosts of Kickoffs and Kick-Ons with Matt Giddo, Adam Ashley Cooper and The Professor. Welcome Drew Mitchell to the Summer Run Home. How are you, Drew? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Mate, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Uh, first off with the podcast, mate, uh, it's, um, we, we all listen. How have you found working with The Professor? And you can be perfectly honest because we've all worked with him in here. <laughs> Mate, mate, it's actually it's been good. Uh, we, we were a different name last year. Uh, we we went through a divorce over the summer, but uh, we've come back as uh, kickoffs and kick-ons. But a time that we had um, last year with the professor, I think he was probably a little bit more uh, in shock than anything else when he came over to France with us and just sort of you know we experienced the World Cup and and uh, so much so that the professor actually booked his flight a week earlier and just got himself <laughs> out of there. He had enough. <laughs> yeah, he can he can uh, throw the toys out of the cot if he's in over his head. He feels like he is, mate. Um, just on that trip, uh, he I I was hanging out with him last week, and he is on a health kick now, claiming really? he's still trying to lose uh, lose what he put on in that Paris trip. How was the eating and drinking uh, around France there, mate? Yeah, look, it was fantastic. I was up there for two months, but the professor only came, I think he was there for only two weeks in the end. But, uh, mate, he was rooming with Adam Ashley Cooper, and I, I think uh, just some of the some of the antics that Adam introduced him to was probably a little bit, uh, a bit of a shock to the system. Even <laughs> there were times where Adam got home and uh, and found the professor in bed with a kilo of beef brisket. So it wasn't all our doing. <laughs> some of it was the professor's choice. But, um, look, we, we may very well be going to Perth this weekend as well. So it might be, um, you know, for the World Rugby Sevens event uh, over there in Perth. Um, and so if that's the case, uh, we'll be bunking in a room together again and uh, and that health kick all of a sudden goes out the door for the professor. No, it doesn't, mate. I've worked with him for a lot of years. It doesn't take much to get him off a health kick if there's a is, there's a beer <laughs> and then a feed on. So, uh, <laughs> mate, the rugby uh, rugby sevens in Perth, um, how is that all shaping up? Who are, we, uh, who are we looking forward to seeing over there? Oh, look, I mean, I think both our teams, men and women, um, you know, are doing particularly well in the previous events. Uh, the women's... Are, are, you know, they're really flying the flag and have been doing so for years. Uh, Charlotte Catholic, the captain, as well as, you know, the, the Levi sisters, Maddie and Tegan. But there's just so, like all the girls in that team are just world-class elite athletes and, uh, you know, really genuinely at the top of their game. So uh, we're looking for another big tournament from them. But also, also our, our guys have found some form as well. So um, we were hoping to see Michael Hooper in, in this in, in this um, installment of the World Series uh, Tour event. But I don't think he'll be making his debut just yet. Uh, I think he just needs a little bit more training under his under his belt. But there's plenty of guys that have been working hard over the summer whilst we've been enjoying other festivities. They've been sort of making sure that they stay in really you know world class sort of shape. So um, yeah, I think they'll be itching to get out there. And, and you know, this is the first time over there in Perth. There's always a you know, big appetite for, for rugby over there as well. So hopefully it's a, a great tournament. Yeah, they're always a fun event, the, the Sevens. Um, but the big news, obviously, in rugby at the moment is the Wallabies, well... They've moved on from their last coach, who I, I know you uh, – well, you you guys all shared your thoughts on uh, on what you thought of uh, the Eddie Jones saga that uh, unfolded. Um, but yeah. Joe Smith, I mean, the the average probably listener who's not uh, that deep into rugby union probably doesn't know much about Joe Smith. What can you tell us about Joe, and what do you think it means for the Wallabies going forward, mate? 
Yeah, look, I think he's probably going to be quite the opposite to, to Eddie in terms of, you know, the way that he speaks and interacts with the media. Um, I think he's going to be sort of pretty quiet and unassuming. But, um, you know, from all reports of any team that he's had any involvement with, he's got a real presence about him. He's got a real honest sort of type of character. And, uh, you know, he, he cut his teeth when uh, he was a Kiwi guy, but he went over to Ireland and, and was the head coach of Leinster and took them to many titles and then got the head coaching role of Ireland. Um, you know, when they sort of really surged onto the scene in terms of the, the, you know, took up that world number one spot and have held that for a number of years. Um, and also was instrumental with David Nusafora over in Ireland to help centralise the, the provincial model as well. So, you know, that's, you know, when you look at the, the appointments that uh, Phil War, um, you know, Dan Herbert and the guys have made at Rugby Australia, um, David Nusafora is now advising, Peter Horn's come in as the the high performance, um, the head of high performance, and then and Joe Schmidt. So there's guys with some relationships, previous relationships there, uh, but also importantly, more importantly, is a, a proven track record. So, um, you know, I saw a few comments from Joe Schmidt, you know, with his press conference saying that he thought he'd retired, but you know, that's you know, it's great to see that something like uh, the head coaching role of Wallabies is still, you know, such a lure to to bring him out of retirement and and uh, help us, you know, really turn things around because you know, I mean, it's. It's uh, no secret that things haven't been great for a number of years now, and especially in more so in, in recent memory. But, um, you know, I, I like some of the, the appointments they're making and the direction that we're going. So, Drew, if you, uh, you know, from your point of view, are you happier that, like, he's only been giving, given a two-year contract rather than a longer one? Do you think that's a good way forward? Yeah, look, I, I think it is. I think, you know, one thing that's becoming more more evident in, in world sport, I think, is that contracts probably don't have yeah. too much weight these days. We, yeah, we signed Eddie Jones for five years and he was gone up to, what, nine months. So uh, I think what it does do is it allows him to come in. Um, like I said, he, he thought he was going into retirement. So we don't know whether it was more of a request from him or whether it was Rugby Australia. But, uh, you know, obviously the British and Irish Lions in 25 is going to be huge. So if he can kind of help, uh, you know, firstly steady the ship, but then start to, to make some, some you know, inroads and, and start seeing a positive change. There obviously could be an opportunity for him to sign on for the, the Home World Cup in 27. Or equally, that I'm also really interested to see what type of appointments he puts in his, in his assistant role positions as well, because that might be something where we see, you know, obviously Stephen Larkin's sort of been thrown around a fair bit. Um, you know, other, you know, Dan McKellar and other guys, from Australia, within the Australian ranks, um, maybe we might see one or a couple of those guys, um, you know, working underneath Joe Schmidt for the next couple of years, and maybe they transition into the head coaching role thereafter. But uh, look, like I said, the, the contracting situation these days, it's, it, I, I think probably Rugby Australia were maybe a little bit once bitten twice shy after giving Eddie Jones a five-year contract, and you know he, he left after nine months. So I, I think it's probably um, smart business from these guys at this point in time. Yeah. Now, do we know if Japan are interested in Joe Schmidt at all? Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, we we never know. We we never know, and unfortunately, with the the last the latest target, we will, we will never know either. So, um, look, we're hoping that uh, Joe Schmidt's um, staying around for the, the the full sort of tenure of his his contract. That's for sure. Hey, Drew, you said in January the good thing about the whole Eddie Jones issue is that now it's a full reset for the Wallabies from the top down. Um, with Joe Schmidt, like obviously being in charge in Ireland, Northern Hemisphere rugby's. Uh, tended to be a different style of rugby to what's been traditionally played in the Southern Hemisphere, places like Australia and New Zealand. I know he is a Kiwi, but yeah. do you expect him to, um, do you expect to see a change of style with the way the Wallabies play or do you, um, do you think it'll be, he'll, he'll adjust to uh, our style of rugby? 
Well, I think that's probably where some of the errors we've, errors we've made in, in previous um, sort of coaching appointments is they've tried to make the players fit the style that the coach wanted to play as opposed to the coach understanding the players that they've got and the strengths and the weaknesses they, they possess and then and then moulding a game around around that. You know, like when we, we're not going to be able to play a South African type of game because those guys are just massive human beings and they just play a different type. Their, their body type is different. So there's no point in us trying to play like them. Uh, you know, the, the conditions that the guys in the UK and Europe play in is completely different to what we have here. So, of course, that, like, even through our pathways and our, our, our junior development programs, we play a different style. So I think importantly for, for Joe Schmidt just to come in and understand the athletes that he's got and the, 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 the type of rugby IQ, levels of IQ that they've got in, in, uh, in their game awareness and just understand the players first and foremost and then try and put... Uh, a game plan and a, and a style of play around the players as opposed to getting the players to change completely into, to a style of game that they just, they're not familiar with. So oh, I'd like to see it that way uh, and, and for the coach to adapt as opposed to 35 players in the squad to try and adapt. Mm. Now, we've got a big year of rugby coming up. Um, significantly, the British and Irish Lions are coming out the uh, first time in quite a long time. Um, do we think, what, what are your realistic expectations for the Wallabies in, uh, in that uh, series? Well, I mean, look, uh, our realistic, realistic expectations, we've got to be competitive. And I know that's probably, you know, in some people's minds, probably a far, far stretch at this point in time. But there is, you know, there's plenty of rugby to be played both provincially and then also internationally before then. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, it's, we only get to play them once every 12 years. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a really, um, you know, it's a huge part of the rugby calendar. And, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a great, uh, you know, it's an honour to play against these, you know, these two ring teams. So... We've just got to get ourselves, Joe Schmidt and, and his team, once he appoints them, we've got a huge task at hand to kind of get them, the, the Wallabies playing to a level where we're really going to test these guys because, you know, whilst our expectations might be that we be competitive, like the, the players' mindset have got to be there to, they're there to win it. So, um, yeah, look, it's probably a little bit too early at the moment uh, given what's happened in the last sort of 12 months or so, but I'll I, I, be predicting some pretty significant changes. Now, mate, just before we let you go, I do have to ask: with the the current setup in uh, at Rugby Australia, your old teammate Phil War is now the CEO of Rugby Australia. He's the man. When when you guys were playing together, did you ever <laughs> like look at him and go, you know what, that CEO material, that open side flanker right there? <laughs> mate, when I was playing, I, I was you know when I was playing with Phil, I was certainly started as a younger guy and. I was actually just, you know, like my eyes were really wide open to to the way that the forwards and particularly Phil trained because he'd always end up in a in a dust up with one of the uh, <laughs> one of his teammates. And, you know, it'd be so competitive, uh, but it was also the type of uh, era, I suppose, where straight after a dust up they'd get into a team team huddle and they'd have to slow dance in the middle to make sure it's just left out there on the training paddock. But look, Phil, Phil's just someone who. You know, when he commits to something, he puts absolutely 100% of himself into it. And, uh, you know, and he's obviously really passionate about about the game of rugby, but also about Australia. And uh, he just wants to, uh, you know, us to, to, to get back to where we, we should be in terms of the world stage of, um, of rugby for Australia. So I, I probably didn't anticipate it. I probably wasn't actually thinking that about anyone at that point in time, though, to be fair. But... Um, but I guess once I sort of start to get to know Phil a little bit more in terms of how he's like his, his level of commitment and his passion towards um, the game in Australia, then you know it makes a fair bit of sense to me now. Thanks for listening to the best of the summer run home. You can catch us every Monday to Friday.